0: Hey, welcome! Thanks for tuning in! This is There's Something About Archbiz, a podcast where I discuss with experts and industry leaders about the many sides of the art piece industry. I'm your host, Federico Biancullo. I'm an archbiz artist, founder of The Big Picture, blogger and content creator in the field of architectural representation. I'm on a journey to learn more on all things about ArcBiz, art direction, business, technology, you name it, and I would like you to be a part of this journey as well. Through these conversations, my hope is to bring light to not-so-obvious topics connected to our industry, and help you grow as a professional, as an artist, and, why not, as a human being as well. So, please join me! Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode of There's Something About ArcBiz. Welcome back to a new episode of There's Something About Archbiz. It's been a while, yes, um, a lot of things have happened in the meantime, and I've been busy with with things. And First of all, I just wanted to take this occasion to share with you something that I'm very excited and happy about. Uh, I've been invited to speak at the 2021 edition of the D2 conferences, which took place, again, online from August 30 to September 3. And the reason I'm sharing this is that the D2 guys gave me the opportunity to talk about something that I deeply care, that is mental health in the archives industry. I had the chance to tell my personal struggles with mental health and share the results of my personal research on the topic on how to spot early signs of burnout, why 3D artists are so prone to suffer from mental ill-being, and on how we can dodge burnout before it happens. The talk is up for Ewing on the D2 Conferences YouTube channel. It's the second talk of day four. And of course, I'm, I'm very open to hear your take on the subject and know about your experience and your struggles. The email address to get in touch is always the same it's podcast at bigpicturevisual.com. But let's go back to the podcast, shall we? Now, the focus of today's episode is on how to improve the relationship with our clients which is probably one of the most important and undervalued factors that influence our success as artists. artists. In particular, I wanted to start from a widespread assumption going around within our industry, that is, we have to educate our clients. But what does it actually mean to educate a client? Should we just try to look beyond this assumption and reframe it, perhaps? Honestly, I've been looking forward to having today's guest on the podcast for quite a while now, and I'm happy to introduce you Simone, Simone Oudiet from Roma. Simone is a French architect who started his own Archivist studio shortly after graduating from school. His main focus is finding new ways of communicating ideas and bridging the communication gap that arises between clients and artists when it comes to talk about creativity and image making. Simone's work is also largely focused on content creation. He regularly shares tutorials, rendering teardowns, articles and videos through his YouTube channel and blog, helping fresh artists to streamline their process. Our conversation touched on many interesting topics. We started by understanding what we mean by educating a client, a little spoiler. It is something akin to streamlining and explaining our process in order to avoid misunderstandings and establish a good relationship. Uh, we also discussed which tools are available to us in order to improve the relationship we with our clients, the role of social media in this process, and what to do when dealing with less than ideal clients. This and much more in today's episode. Enjoy my conversation with Simone. Probably you don't know, but I've been following your blog since the beginning. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. And I'll be honest with you, I think that your blog is very underrated.
1: Yeah, that's what everyone says.
0: (laughs) There's not many people mentioning your blog, at, at least at the time. I think it was three or four years ago when I started reading your tutorials. Horror My Blog was not on many people's radar.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it was not. It still isn't. It's the same with the yeah like the YouTube channel is still very like small even though I've been putting content very regularly for a while and I think it's as you said it's like quite different from what you can see on other stuff so and I think it's still relevant for people who want to understand better images and like the archives in general so yeah it's I honestly don't know why I know I don't spend any time on like marketing and optimizing SEO and stuff like that so that might explain a little bit of it but i also think it's because i'm not refining anything like it's everything is a bit raw and like the videos etc i don't spend time editing and making it look pretty because i don't have time for that and i know that nowadays the sort of standard is for like very refined stuff where like the lighting is perfect and there's like a lot of cool and cute animations everywhere and we're getting used to that and i'm like i have zero time to dedicate for that so Also, it makes it
0: look like very amateurish, even though the content is actually okay. I think YouTube is a really slow platform. It it picks up very slowly. Um, You have to be really, really consistent with uploading, with producing new content. So I think it's pretty normal that you don't get results before the first 30, 50 videos.
1: Basically, this year I was focusing on being very uh, regular and being like, I'm going to make one video every week or every two weeks for the whole year, and then I'll start assessing how it's going and if I can do anything about it or not.
0: I mean, production value comes later. The bar of production value is pretty high nowadays, of course, but I think that's something that you can, you know, you can try to address later on when you have a a bulk of content. But in general, YouTube is a very slow platform. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's it's very
1: hard to grasp how it works. And it seems like it's changing every now and then, like the algorithm. And sometimes it will like spike and you don't know, like I have like, it's, it's actually very symptomatic. The I have, like, a couple of videos that have, like, 13,000 views, and most of the others have, like, 200. And the ones that have many views are the ones that are very basic tutorials on, like, how to add snow in your images or how to insert people, which is, like, questions
0: that many people ask themselves at some point. That's something that I noticed as well. When you go more into the explanatory, philosophical part of ArchViz, you start losing interest and i think that's a shame because it's it's what makes our industry run i think it kind of comes
1: with this social media ethos is that everything needs to be very simple and quick and once you need to dig a little bit deeper everyone is leaving and they're like no i don't have time for that and the thing is it's it's the worst mindset, because the only way to sort of differentiate yourselves from everyone is if you dig a little bit deeper in whatever area you're in. Because if you only stay on the surface, you're going to do the same thing as everyone else. So that's why I kind of like focused and stay focused on other stuff. And I was like, yeah, I could do like many small tutorials, but I find that actually boring. And there's like so many people already doing it and like way better than I would, that I don't see any value in doing it for anybody. So that's why I always, like, I'm going to focus on other stuff and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, that's
0: hard to, like, people don't really care about that yet for some reason. For some reasons, people are still very hungry for tutorials still. Whilst you can really find these things anywhere in the web right now, really anywhere. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. It's like more than ever, like,
1: even like when I started like five or six years ago, Uh, When I started doing the blog I was running, it wasn't because it wasn't available. It was more because I just wanted to put out out there what I was doing and sort of like to keep track of what I was doing. And it was this idea of like that my brother told me one day it was like very simple. It was you even if you don't know much because you're you're starting, you still know more than some other people. So you can always share it and some people will learn from you and it goes the other way around as well. So I was like, yeah, I might as well just write some blog posts and do videos because. I was enjoying it at, at the time and I was sort of like formulating better my, my thinking and my workflow, which in the end helps you doing it more properly afterwards.
0: Let's talk about you, how you got started, how the blog got started, how you, you're starting your own side project even outside doing images.
1: I studied architecture like most people doing art viz, I guess. Um, it was I finished I graduated six years ago and um, I think I... Always had like an interest in two main things, which was like theory and images. So this idea of like understanding how things work and just doing images of stuff that I liked and found interesting. And for some reason, I never worked in architecture firms. Oh, well, I did work in architecture firms, but not as an architect because I wasn't, there was too many things I wasn't, um, I didn't like about the sort of ethos in architecture firms where it's like you have to put in a lot of work you have like shit pay. you don't like there's really this idea of like you have to work a lot and you don't people don't work smartly in there it's like i'm always uh what's the word like very astonished at how much time they waste when they work and i'm like like there's zero process because they Mm -hmm. there's this idea of like we're kind of artists and we're like doing really Original stuff, I'm like, yeah, you can do that, but in a more organized way and save time for your creativity to actually be even more efficient. And this is something that, at least in France, is completely uh, absent. And this is something that made me never go into an architecture firm in France, or at least as an architect. Once I um, graduated, I did, uh, I did many competitions for fun, uh, with, alone or with some friends. Because I did still like designing stuff because it's uh, it's part of the fun and actually making it come real uh, by being able to do decent images was already also very motivating. I did work for a year in a firm in Paris and I was I thought I would be working with like other artviz artists and sort of learn from them but actually it was just a uh, me over there so I did learn a lot but it was just because. There was a lot of um, pressure, but in a good sense, because I just wanted to do good work. So I had to learn a lot of software very quickly and uh, very efficiently. And it was was a very good, um, gave me a very good taste of like, what is it to work on competitions? What is it to work with very tight deadlines? How, How you need to work efficiently? What is to talk actually with architects and how they kind of think and how they work? So it was very interesting. At the time I already started working on Oroma on this side, I was doing mostly client work. Basically I was working, I don't know, many hours during the, well, during the week and at night when I would go back home I would work another four or five hours on my personal project. Well not personal but like commission personal project. And I did that for a full year and then I started having too much work on Oroma so I stopped my job and I started going full-time there. And I was always uh, writing down like blogs and stuff like that because I was really interested in that and I always did it on the side because it was a good thing to, to have on the side because that was the one thing also that I was not happy with the um, in-house job is that the planning or the schedule was always the same. I would always be working on the same task and this is not even though like a project is like different set of tasks but it's just very repetitive and what i really liked when uh, going freelance was this idea of like i can take this day off to work on my like blog i can take this day off to go take photographs of stuff that i like and etc and this was like way more dynamic and way more uh feeling because there was this idea of like you can't be creative if you're sitting on a desk every day from 8 to 10 or whatever uh, like i needed time to be outside or to do other stuff that were not really work related because most of my inspiration comes from books, like literally writing stuff, not from like photographs for some reason or like painting sometimes, but I like, I have very visual stuff when I read things and
0: uh, I need to read things and you don't have time to read when you're working. It's reflecting a lot in the the way you approach also your content creation. You have a really theoretical approach to the thing, to artists. And something I really appreciate of your work is that you have a really systematic, you know, take on how to do things. Even on your tutorial articles, you don't just give the tip on or the technical notion on how to do a thing, but you take time to explain why we're doing things in a certain way. For example, inserting 2D people, because that's the first tutorial I remember from your blog. And you took a lot of time, a lot of space, a lot of text to explain how to put to the people and why to put them in a certain way. And that's something that is it's really unique nowadays. In a world like ours that is so fast paced, in which 30 second videos seem to be the, the trend, it's kind of a unique statement. And I, I really like it because I appreciate long format content as well. Today's topic is However, more about our clients. There's something that us as Arch-VS artists, we usually tell each other that we have to educate our clients. And I remember you also wrote a really nice article on this. I think it was featured on CG Architect as well. Not specifically on this aspect. It was more, of course, geared towards us artists. But I think it touched somehow on this topic of client education. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. You also wrote the same version of that article for architects. Yeah, there was a two.
1: It's actually I had this sort of like epiphany a couple of years ago or a year ago. Like I noticed artists and architects had very strong misconceptions about the other side of the of the collaboration, if I may say. And I was like, this is very annoying because that detrimental to the quality of the work everyone is delivering at the end so i was like i'm gonna write an article sort of like listing all the things that i personally as well like misunderstood when i started out and i was like maybe it's going to help people to have like the right mindset uh very early in their career because otherwise you can go very far in the wrong direction and get a lot of frustration from not understanding why your client is doing what he is doing and at the same time, I wrote like the sort of symmetrical arch- uh, article that was uh, aimed towards architects, so that they understand better how our artists or archviz studios work and what are their sort of like expectations. This one was also interesting, and for some reason, I tried to get it uh, published on like bigger blog posts, but like for um, of like architecture, like uh, ArchDaily or things like that. And for some reason, they Unfortunately, never replied to any of my emails, even though, like, I really think it's, it's a very important topic. And it was even more like uh, disturbing because lately they're doing a, like, a special, um, thing about rendering. And I sent them again the article saying, like, this should be interesting for you because it's a very, I'd say, original content is the sense that no one is really discussing it that way. But it seems that they're more interested in saying, like, a very, basic stuff about rendering and how it's used and why you should use it, which is fine. It's just like everybody already knows that. And even if you know it, you still end up doing bad work because you don't even know how to collaborate properly. So in the end, it's kind of useless.
0: On this aspect of blogging about ArchViz, yeah, I've seen the same trend that main architecture blogs are picking up the ArchViz team in a dichotomical way. It's very ambiguous. Take Architizer, for example. Architizer releases blog posts about archvists regularly. They can release one day a blog post in which they bash archvists, traditional archvists as unrealistic. That sets unrealistic expectations on clients. The next day they will post a blog praising contemporary archvists. So it's very, uh, it's a very schizophrenic approach, if you ask me. But going back to your work, there's a lot of client education in your words, in what you write, but We never really, I think not not many people really stop and ask what does it mean to actually educate the client? And why is it important to educate a client? What's your take on this? I always had like an issue with this idea
1: of like educating the client. And I was wondering why, because overall I'm like, I agree in the sense that we know more about our subject than the client does. And so it kind of makes sense that we're supposed to educate them. But I think the issue I have with this idea, and I think it actually leads to many like consequences that maybe we'll talk about later, is this idea that it's sort of, instead of having this sort of hierarchy that we have with like the customer, like the client is king and chooses everything, we're sort of like shifting it by putting us above the client and saying, we are always right. And we are gonna tell you what is right and what is is to do. And the thing is that for me, it's not even the right way to, to do it properly, because the goal in the end is not to be right or wrong or to be above or whatever. It's more to have this like alignment of mindset where everyone is agreeing on like the strategy and the sort of goal. And for me, like, even though I understand that sometimes you can understand this idea of like educating the client as just, I'm going to explain you what I do and how I do it and why it's important. But I think sometimes it leads to people just acting like very...
0: They're kind of dismissive of the client's ideas. Yeah,
1: exactly. And it's for me, this is like maybe the sort of feeling I had about educating the client. Every time I was reading like articles about this and I was like, it doesn't sound right to me. Because for me, like the whole mindset or approach that I have with client is really really the side of building a conversation and understanding what they're after and how we can like how I can put all my knowledge at their disposal so that we can better address their issue, if I may say. And that's the thing also, um, tying back to this idea we're seeing about like how I like theory and explaining things. And I think it's very important is that the only way you can have a conversation with your client and really help them in a productive way is if you actually understand why things work and why things don't work. If you're just like making pretty pictures, but by copying people or by just like copying references without really understanding why it is important that something is working that way or why there's like this type of dynamic or whatever, and you can't really recreate it and understand why it is acting that way, then you won't be able to convince your client to do anything. And then it kind of leads to this sort of frustration that I see all the time on forums where people are like, my client is ruining my images. And I'm like, no, it's just you're not don't have enough knowledge to explain why your idea was better than his or hers. And in the end, it's like, it's very just this idea of conversation. And if you don't set properly the sort of hierarchy, if I may say, but like the absence of hierarchy, then you're not conversing and you're just like pitching
0: ideas or you're just like throwing ideas and nobody's really trying to work together. How I see it is more a process issue. I think the artistic process, like you said, is... Uh, it's a product of a compromise with a client. More than a compromise, a collaboration, a dialogue, as you said. What I mean with education is more educating clients on the process, on how we do things, because usually clients are a bit, you know, oblivious on how an image is made. Sometimes they just think it's magic. Well, more and more architects are becoming tech savvy. More and more architects are starting to get a grasp on how an image is made, and that's good for us. But still, it's the minority of them. And I think process is still a very unclear area of what we do to architects. So I think education should go into that direction, showing architects what's our process like and what's possible and what's not possible during the process. I don't know. What do you think about that? It's fun because, like, if you ask this question 10
1: years ago, the answer would be very technical in the sense that there are stuff that are not possible nowadays, like literally everything is possible re-rendering something takes like an hour, changing like a little model or whatever, and you can literally do everything a client can ask. So what you have to do is to explain them why it's a bad idea. So as you said, some of them are really not aware of how things work. So you have to, that's the thing is like, you don't want to stay in your box and come up every like uh, five days and say, this is the image. And so they'll be like, yeah, but how did you do it? And actually, that's the thing is like, sometimes they don't care about how it's done. So you have to both make them understand they need to be interested in that and also give them their information of how it's actually, how what's the actual process. So like, for instance, what I do is that every time I start a project, I'll send them explanations of like the actual process that I have so that they understand how many steps is we're going through, how many revisions we can make, how many, how long it takes to do this or that, et cetera, and how many like sort of touch points we're going to have in meetings that we're going to have in order to discuss their project. Because otherwise they'll be like, yeah, maybe I'll see. Because if they don't know what to expect, basically you can't blame them for being like asking for many things or being asking for nothing because you are the one who's supposed to bring Everything because the gel leader they don't they don't have time and they don't care about like they really don't care about the actual technical aspect or like the process aspect. And you have to make sure that's the thing is like you have to make sure to present your process in your workflow so that they can assess if it actually fits in their own workflow because sometimes you can have like a great portfolio, a great client, but you just work in so many different ways that you actually can't work together. So you have to check that very early in the process. Otherwise you're going to kind of end up doing very bad images because uh, it just doesn't
0: work the way you work. That's something that I tell potential clients all the time. What I tell them is that you have to know who you're working with. You have to understand what's the workflow, what's the process of the company you're working with. Each company has a different workflow. Not all ArcVis companies work the same way and it's something that As as artists, as freelancers, as entrepreneurs, we have to take into account as well, because sometimes we really forget that we don't we don't all work the same way. So we just assume our client can understand our process automatically and we don't bother explaining our process to them. And I think that's a mistake. But if you wanted to flip this question, what are the aspects that 3D artists are usually oblivious of the design process? I think the thing is, as soon as artists had like a little bit of architecture
1: background, they are kind of aware of what's the iterative process that goes in like designing things. So that's basically also why like the workflow that I've built is really optimized for a very iterative process and very simple and um, how it's like to update things very quickly or to make the effect you want, but like the simplest way. When I was working in-house in Paris, it was fun because I would have very big uh, design changes until the last day, because like competitions just work that way. And well, that's the thing, sometimes you have like architecture firms that are very organized and they won't, they will only change small things towards the end because everything is getting more detailed and refined. But sometimes you have like a sort of very big new idea that kind of shifts completely something. And in the end, like it's a small shift in the concept, that's a big shift in the actual geometry, and it means that the image has to be almost started from scratch. And the thing is that it's interesting because if you don't understand the sort of architecture justification for it, and you just have like an artist that came from photography or whatever, you'll be like, "I, why are you asking me to change everything?" And if you're an architect, be like, "Oh yeah, actually, your new design, which is slightly different, is actually much better than the previous one." So it will actually be easier for me to work from that new model because it makes more sense regarding what you actually gave me in terms of like conceptual approach earlier. So you have to be like having a knowledge of like how firms work in-house is very, very interesting. And it basically leads you to to understand how the sort of like evolution of work is throughout the the process of a, at least for competition. Because when it's like more... Um, for a permit or something like that. It's very simple and very like those phases and steps, it's very straightforward. And you're like, you make an image and you sort of refine it and then it's done because you don't actually care that much about what it looks like. Well, it depends, but uh, it's more for competition that there's like a very specific environment that you have to be aware of. I think there's also this idea of like, still linking back to this idea of conversation is that sometimes I feel like, um Artviz, artists are not asking any questions to their clients, like not even being curious about what's going on. And this, I think, is also something that sort of leads you to not understand how things are evolving, because if you're not really like, there's ideas like you have to be part of their team. So You have to understand what, how is the design evolving? What are the decisions that are taken and how it's going to impact your work? And if you don't make the, the step of actually Trying to be part of their team understanding how things are evolving, then you will always be at the end of the chain and receiving all the information at the very end. And then you have way less time than if you actually sort of, uh, forecast it and took
0: time to sort of stay in touch or get in touch earlier in the process. So if I will sum it up, it's, it comes down to two things. It's one, what you just said is communication, trying to have a constant communication stream with a client and trying to avoid the, that boxing situation. And the other one is knowing the project you're getting in. Because as you mentioned, competitions are completely different from real estate projects and building permits. I mean, each of these projects works at a different pace. And with competition, especially, yeah, it's true, masses and volumes are prone to changes until very late. So you have to, you know, keep your options flexible, keep your workflow flexible when you work on this project and expect the unexpected somehow. I think that's an important message to convey to to those who want to work with competition, especially with larger firms. If you ever work with a very large architectural firm, uh, did it happen to you? Like one of the big names, for example. No, but I did work with like
1: 100 plus uh, employees stuff in Sydney. So it was compared with like France, where it's usually more 20, 30 architects. It was pretty big. And it does have like this more hierarchical system where you can see how things are more like they have like a stronger process, but still this idea of like things changing later down the
0: line quite easily. I don't know if it's a cliche, but in my experience, the larger the name is, the more changes the end there are. <laughs> I don't know if it's a, <laughs> it's a fact, but it's something yeah. I really expect when I work with a large firm. Uh, however, in this process, in this relationship building process, what tools do we have at our disposal to explain our process to a client, to educate them on what we do and how we do it? I use workshops, for example. I hold small workshops for clients and potential clients in which I highlight how 3D companies might work, how how they should deliver feedback, and also some technical things about how to export 3D models. That's just a small way that I use to try to get a relationship started with a client.
1: Yeah, I basically try to do the same because I think it's one of the best approach. Basically, once you start like talking properly, openly about what you're doing, it's it gets uh, it gets easier and understanding properly their process so i do have this sort of like small workshops as well i do spend basically what i do for any potential clients to have like a proper meeting where we talk about how they work what type of work they do what's their typical process then i explain to them what's my typical process how i like to work and then we sort of see if it's if it would fit because there's like well It's kind of stereotypical, but there's like two types of firms you have like for ArtViz I mean, you have studios that will do, they will have like a first meeting, then they'll stay away for a couple of, uh, well, maybe like a week, and then they'll deliver almost the final image. And there's just like one revision and then they're done. And these images are generally generally quite cheap. They're not necessarily bad, but they're cheap. And that's some clients are what some clients are after. They just don't want to spend time and waste time sometimes with uh, like, being in the process basically, and there's like other firms that are more into like I'm gonna take you through the whole process. We're gonna spend the time necessary to build the sort of communication visuals you need, and it's gonna be like that. And we're gonna and if it works for you, we're gonna do that. I like more this aspect and this way of working because, um, as I said, it's it's fun because for me there's actually no other way of working because if you don't exchange RDS with your client, you won't be able to deliver what I call their successful image, which is something that really conveys the idea of your client and not your ideas and your interpretation, which is not something thereafter. One of the big misconceptions I think that some artists have is that they have like their own interpretation of the project of their client. Whereas what you actually want to convey is the interpretation of your client of their own project, but through your understanding of like composition and yeah, technical and artistic knowledge, which is quite different. And uh, sometimes this the sort of distingo is very, like, people are quite oblivious to it. So that's why, and it generally comes down to the difference between spending like the amount of time necessary with your client to understand how they, like what they're doing or, uh, or not spending
0: that time. We are linking back to the beginning of our conversation with this, when we are mentioning that when we close ourselves in a box, we fail sometimes to understand what the client wants to really see of their project. And that's something that only by conversation we discover. There's literally no other way of doing it. Yeah, I think image making is a mediation process. It's the product of a conversation, of understanding what the client is looking after, what are the expectations of the client concerning that project, and trying to mediate those expectations through the knowledge of the 3D artist. That, of course, should be artistic knowledge of compositions, lighting, and coloring, etc. cetera. Um, so that's kind of a negotiation between parts. So in this aspect, I see ourselves more as consultants rather than hands on the images, you know? That's
1: personally why I kind of have an issue with this uh, name of like Arvis Artist. It's because for me, it has, it leads to an understanding that you're kind of alone working on something that is your own, whereas you're actually a service provider working on the project of someone else, which is completely different. And um, yeah, it's, it's sort of like, again, one of this, small semantic thing that for me maybe leads to wrong ideas among like people starting or even like more experienced people that are like actually not really having the right mindset when it comes to working with clients, because it's completely, well, that's the funny thing is that once you have the right approach, there's zero difference between working for your own images or for your client's images. But if you think that, um, if you approach things in a, well, let's say like the wrong way, you will not be able to work for anybody else than yourself. As in, like, you can only work on personal projects because you're not able to understand what others people have,
0: like interpretations they have of their own work. You were mentioning this semantic thing. We've been discussing this very topic in Italy down here for a while, actually. Mm -hmm. How to call ourselves in our profession. What's the right job title? It's fun. You're linking it more to the perception of how are we considered outside our circles, but I don't like to call ourselves artists, something that it doesn't sound right, we should find something else. I don't think art is, is art, honestly. That's quite a strong statement.
1: I understand. It's one of those topics where I'm still not undecided, but right now I lean more towards UITs that, we're, for me, were like mainly service providers that do visual communications artist is like, for me, it's kind of
0: different. So I'm not really there yet. But on the other side, I think it's just a convention in the industry because if you think about the gaming industry, you have environment artists, lightning artists, you have character artists. So artist is just a way to indicate someone who does the creative part of a certain job. So it's just a convention, I think. I mean, artists has not just, you know, Caravaggio or uh, Canaletto or Monet or Cezanne or Picasso. <laughs> That's the thing. Artist is a bit broader nowadays. That's the thing. And I think that that's
1: the problem, is that we still have this sort of uh, fantasized idea of what artist is, but we are sort of slapping it on more common stuff. So in the end, we still think that, uh, that like, you know, this sort of like ego trip of like artists that know everything, but at the same time, we're dealing with other people, or well, like clients in general. <laughs> so it's there's like a mismatch between those two. So that's why for me, there's this sort of mindset uh, misalignment every now and then, that can be problematic. But for instance, I actually asked like some friends uh, from Australia and the US, Canada, etc., And I was like asking them, how do you call art with artists in, uh, in your country kind of? And I was saying like render guy or uh, like, uh, and I was like, there's zero artistic value in the naming. We're, we're the, as you said, we're the only one, and it's probably a convention because as you said, it comes from also video games and stuff like that, that are calling ourselves artists. In France, we call them like persman, which is perspectivist. That's the funny thing is that perspectives are very mathematical. They're not artistic at all because they're just like points you draw and lines you draw. So they're actually supposed to be very unbiased. And so they, they don't have really artistic value, even though, I mean, we have all the sort of Renaissance stuff with like perspective, but I mean, In a conventional sense, it's mathematics.
0: There's zero artistic idea in the eyes of the client. Exactly. I can relate a lot. In Italy, they use a really ugly word which is renderista. Yeah. Which is the ugliest word you can use for 3D artists. But I think calling ourselves artists is more, as you mentioned, an ego trip of ours, maybe a way to elevate ourselves in the eyes of someone else if you are considered renderisti or perspectivists from yeah, yeah. In the eyes of our clients, we have to elevate ourselves in a way or another. Yeah, Simon, I want to move to a completely different topic. You're very active on social media nowadays with your YouTube channel, your newsletter. In this aspect of client education, I have a really big problem with how artists artists, yes, <laughs> use social media nowadays. What I see most of the time is image galleries without any really significant content or explanation of what we do, Um, they tell us all the time that having a strong social media presence is important. But my impression is that we haven't reached yet a point in which our social media provides value or something interesting to a client. So how do we create some social media content that is actually useful or tailored towards client instead to other artists as an ego trip. I think galleries, like Instagram galleries, are more of an ego trip rather than anything else. They don't really provide value to a client. So how we can actually provide some value on our social media? Uh, (laughs) That's a $1 million question. I haven't reached an answer yet, so that's really open. No, it's a very, very interesting topic. As you said, I think
1: Instagram is very fun because it's a very narcissistic, you're just doing it for yourself. Even though you like this idea of like, I'm showing what I'm doing, the way you scroll through Instagram, like your attention span is literally five milliseconds per image. So whether you, if you scroll between like shitty renderings, a good renderings, a photograph, a good photograph, you're just like sort of comparing them together. Personally, when I scroll on Instagram, which which I do very rarely nowadays, because I find this uh, social media very shallow, basically. And for me, like, you can't base a client relationship on very shallow terms. You have to go deeper and you have to explain everything. So it can be good to grab attention. And it's basically the only thing it does, at least for Instagram. And for me, social medias in general are not very... I know that many people actually get some or most of their clients from there. I know that 100%, or like 90% of my clients come from like organic growth and referrals. I don't use social media at all because it's like cold emailing. So you're just sending stuff in the dark and you don't like... Some will reply, others won't but the people that reply are just interested in the look of your image but they're not really interested necessarily in the way you work or so there's like a lot of other steps you have to go through whereas if you go through referrals with like clients that say I like working with that guy he worked that way blah 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 and you actually have clients that are happy and are telling other architects then you all the selection process is already done and you know that the people you're going to get referred to are people you actually will enjoy working with like 99% of the time Whereas on social media, it's just you have like millions of potential clients. Of course, you touch like maybe a thousand and then you have like one or a guy contacting you and you're like, yeah, well, I am happy you like what I do. But from what I can see, it's just not at all what I'm interested in doing. Sometimes it works out. But like, for instance, even on social media, the few clients that I got from there were still friends from people that I know. On the other hand, though, you can still use that. And the idea of, as you said, to sort of um, not already educate, but make people more sensitive to some topics. For instance, I built at some point, but I kind of stopped doing it because it was too time consuming, but like a secondary platform where I was just posting tips and stuff more regarding um, management and business in general and how to work with artists. And this idea, this was kind of tailored for artists, but also for architects who would be a little bit curious on how things work. But again, if you want to grow properly an account on social media, you have to spend so much time that it's like a full-time job, or you have to have really incredible content, which is like contradictory with doing content that people are at the moment not interested in. So even if you do incredible content on a topic that people don't care about, then you won't be in their feed. So all in all, it's it's completely wasted time. That's why, like, I've referred, like, uh, resorted back to uh, what you were saying earlier. Is like workshops, uh, sort of presenting. Like the way I present Oroma is really, this idea of like uh, experimenting stuff, spending time with client, and sort of bridging the gap in terms of communication that exists between a client and artist. Artist, and the masterclass that I've started doing is also, even though it's like uh, centered around composition. There's a big chunk of it that is for client management, but it's kind of explained in a way that even architects, cause I had like in the first cohort, it was fun. I had two architects, but like practicing architect, not artist artists and they were here and they like their feedback was very really interesting because they were like, oh, I completely like, I see completely differently the sort of relationship I should have with the studios we work with. So, which was like literally the only goal I have is to sort of bring awareness on like some things that people are like completely oblivious to. And once you start like helping people understanding a little bit better things, they start focusing more on what matters, if I may say. So social medias are a bit, or when I say social medias, I mainly mean Instagram. I don't use ArtStation and like platforms of ArtViz stuff, but I honestly don't know if clients go there for sure know that French don't go there because they have zero interest in doing so. Maybe in America, Canada, etc., they are a little bit more aware of that type of platforms, but I'm not even sure about that. Yeah, I don't know. I have a website. It's enough. I don't need to have
0: like 60 different platforms where I do stuff. The website thing is interesting. I was thinking lately, well, I never have time to do this, but I was thinking of restructuring my own page, uh, not as a gallery of images but as a showcase of case studies. So I would really love to write something on the project that I did on how I worked with the client and the challenges that I had to face. So do you think that kind of aspect that that kind of interaction could be more interesting for a client that goes on your website, trying to explain how you worked and what were the challenges? That's what, people in design and creativity fields do. I don't know if you follow Chris, though. Yeah. He has a course on case study building, and that's something that works really well in creative industries. And when I see this kind of theoretical development in design, I think that Archviz is a bit behind in this aspect as well. Yeah.
1: It's a feeling I had with architecture. First, I was like, how come we are still so inefficient on all the communication aspects at everything? And then I started doing Archviz, and I was like. Still, started thinking the same. It's like there's so much going on in business and like business management in uh, like uh, communication and creative industries that we're not implementing at all, even though they're like literally booming at the moment. And it's like, it seems that there's no one doing it.
0: Architects as well are really old fashioned when it comes to this kind of thing. It's,
1: it's terrible. <laughs> we are really linked to that. Yeah, yeah. it's good because the, the new generation, if I may say, seems to be thinking quite differently. But at the same time, they also understand that they need to build their own visual style. So they mainly do stuff in house and they go for more like simpler representation sometimes. At least in France where like this have trend of like collage and things like that, or in Belgium as well. It's something we can't compete with in the sense that it's just a completely different medium in a way.
0: Did a client of yours ever ask you for a collage
1: style image? Mm, no. Sometimes they ask for things that are kind of collagey in the sense that they will ask me to make some stuff transparent and things look like less realistic but i generally say no because i don't like to work that way and the thing is like i know too many people that are very good at this and i would be like i'm gonna refer you to someone i know and he can do it for her or she can do it for you than me doing it less well because it's not what i'm yeah i have like a sort of style that i'm trying to build still that i want to aim towards and uh it would be stupid to sort of do something completely different, even though i like to do something different, but
0: not for um, commission work. And to close with something a bit more fun, have you ever had any experience with a client that was really beyond any chance of being educated or bridle them into your process?
1: <laughs> I've had bad experiences. There's one thing though that I want to say first regarding that is that one thing that I still start that I do every time something goes not well or bad is that I try to make sure that I'm not responsible for it. So I really analyze, like I literally reread all the emails we've been through and double check if I was the one not being clear about things. Because I don't want to come out as like being not nice. I'm just like an asshole, even for something that I thought the guy was doing, even though actually it was me who was like not asking the right things or not doing things the right way so i always double check that before starting complaining about a a client because otherwise i know it's like really quick path to uh, being frustrated by everything (laughs) so i uh, i do that first but i did have um, one time one client that was very annoying and it actually links back to this really conversation things that we were not talking at all i was sending emails asking for like material references, photographs, uh, feedbacks on some point of views that I sent, or things like that. And they would reply with one uh, sentence email and a Lumion rendering of what they wanted. And they did that like literally five times. Like every day, I would be sending an email saying like, I've been doing this, I'm trying to work on that, Uh, here are the things I need, can we talk? And then they would send back a fucking Lumion rendering. I'd be like, dude, (laughs) what? what are you doing this? And it's very fun because it really comes down to... That's why I kind of like about this job in general. It really comes down to people because I worked in the past with the same firm, but with another project manager and everything went extremely smoothly. And I was like literally asking the same things, sending the same files, like uh, explanation process and stuff like that. And it's just that this very project manager was not listening at all and just wanted to send me Lumion stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay, it's cool. So, in the end, they had like very bad images, and I couldn't even feel responsible for it because I I literally couldn't do anything else. If I ask you A and you reply uh, some Z all the time, even though it's not what I'm asking for. and if every time you ask me to do something, I do it and I explain you why it's bad, but you don't listen to me, then I I can't do anything
0: else. Yeah, that's the thing with slightly larger firms. People are so different in teams. I mean, you can get a perfect team manager, a person that you can communicate with, and the person that doesn't really know how to communicate. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible.
1: The good thing when you deal with like small firms, even if they have like project teams, but it's if you start knowing all of them, then you know how to deal with all, with all of them. Like. That's the thing also that I maybe don't like about uh, advertising on social media is that then you might potentially get more clients, but I'm literally not after having more clients. I'm just after good clients. And I already have a good pool of very good clients that I like working with. And I know all of their project managers. I know how they work. I know how I have to fine tune my workflow for each of them so that things go a little more smoothly. And this, I wouldn't be able to do it if I was dealing with 100 clients and uh, different clients and having like completely different workflows. I'm like working alone. I don't have the brain to remember all that. But when you're dealing with like 20 or 30 ongoing client or um, it's more manageable. The thing also, and that's the funny thing is that once you understand that process is key and that understanding that it needs to fit with your client, because sometimes you hear like artists being really desperately after getting clients, even if they're shitty ones, and then they'll be like complaining about it. But at the same time, they're still taking the client job. So You're like, either take the job and don't complain and do what's necessary for it to work, or stop complaining and ditch the client because you don't like working with them and find another one. I know it's like, it sounds like simple, but it actually kind of is. It's like the time you're going to spend bitching about how bad it was to work with that guy and the frustration that you might actually also transfer onto other clients. You should actually just not work with that guy and do like a little bit of marketing if you want. Or actually what I like better is to do passive marketing in a sense that I'll. Do, like blog posts, I'll do like images for myself and I'll send them on like post them on social media so that you get like a little bit of a uh, brand awareness or whatever. But uh, I would never like push too much uh, collaboration that just doesn't work because it leads nowhere. And it actually does the thing is that it's frustrating in many ways because. When you see that, I actually feel bad for the client because I'm like, this guy is not going to be able to work with anyone. And it's detrimental to their own firm because they're like literally throwing away thousands of euros to make images, but they're not even using the... Yeah, they don't make the most out of a 3D artist, of a 3D company. I think I'm doing my best at like communicating everything so that they have the biggest chance of actually getting the most out of the collaboration that we're having. So it's, uh, it's a bit frustrating. But at the same time, it it's feels good when you stop working with someone that you know it's just not going to work because it's just a huge time saver and you, like for your mind, it's way, way better
0: to work like that. This is the right mindset, but it's pretty difficult to get into this mindset, especially when you're beginning that you really are hungry to get all the clients that you can get. But in the long run, this is not sustainable at all. Sure. But that's,
1: that's the thing is that back when I was kind of struggling to get clients, I didn't have that mindset, but I wasn't frustrated at my clients being not really responsive because at the time I know that I was not putting in enough emphasis on communication. Most people, I guess when they start, they just like send images, hope the client likes them. And sometimes the feedback is fine. Sometimes the feedback is bad and you're like, oh damn, what did I do wrong? And then you try to fix it. But with experience, then you start understanding how you need to present your work explain what type of feedback you want, et cetera. And so your sort of expectation does change. But back in the days, I wasn't complaining much about the clients because I was happy of getting clients in the first place. But I have to say I was quite lucky because the fact that I did work in a, in a firm in house <clears throat> was actually my first big client when I went freelance because I was still working for them, but like uh, as a freelancer because they couldn't replace me uh, very quickly. They, it took them like almost a year to actually find someone. I still work for them for about a year. And I was very lucky to meet like the right people and that were like having the right bosses and that were working in the right firms. So I got like a, a good pool of client quite early. The thing is, I was also very comfortable with not having work. I would still like need to, uh, Make money like everyone, because you still need to pay your rent, etc. But I think it actually came from this, the fact that I was running this YouTube channel and the blog, is that every time I had free time, I would be dedicating it to this more like long-term thing. Even though it took like literally six years to get it to somewhere where I can sort of like make a little bit of money out of it. But it was, uh, yeah, really this idea of like I still needed to to build up my skills and learn stuff, so. And I didn't like the idea of marketing and looking for clients. So I would be spending most of my time just learning stuff and eventually clients would come because, well, that's the thing is like, every time I had a client, I would be spending a lot of time making sure everything was as good as it could be. So they would always come back to me because they were happy with the result. It's just that they don't have like uh, projects every day or every week or every month. So sometimes I would have like a couple of months off and even nowadays, I mean, like This year, the first three months of 2021, I had like one contract, even though I've been doing this for six years and um, I usually get like a decent amount of work. But for the first three months of the year, I had like literally almost nothing to do, but I was focusing on the masterclass. I had many other stuff I wanted to work on and it didn't even cross my mind to start advertising or marketing stuff because I know it just doesn't work for me. And it doesn't, as I said,
0: like bring the type of client that I'm after. That's also interesting. I I had a similar situation, even though like you, I have side activities that potentially can bring me extra income like content creation, course building, etc. I find it really, really difficult to stay calm and uh, use my time to do something else because I freak out when I don't have clients work, even though sometimes I don't just want to do images. Yeah, that's the other thing. Let's not get too deep. And I know as we've been talking for a quite a long time now, so I want to move towards the end of the conversation. Um I don't know if you have any reading or resource on this topic of educating clients, of managing clients that you can share with those listening.
1: There are many, but they're all saying the same. So it's kind of... Uh, okay. You, you, you go quickly over what's been said. I know that I've been... Um When I was, well, younger, kind of, but like uh, several years ago, I was reading a lot of uh, self-development book and um, business book. And it was like a couple of guys that I really liked, like Todd Henry and uh, Blair Enns, basically. These are like the two main people that I kind of read about, that I quite like because Tom Henry writes a lot about like self-development, but how to insert that into your business productivity, which is very interesting because it gives you like an idea of how you need to manage your business. And there's also this like a lot of writing about like teamwork. So basically, teamwork is the same. Once you have the mindset of like you need to collaborate with your client, then it's just teamwork. So whether it's like in the same uh, firm or like two, uh, like if you're a consultant, it's actually the same relationship. So it's very relevant to read his books that are pretty fun. And Blair Ends is very nice. I know that Chris Doe talks about him all the time, but it's like the win without pitching manifesto, which is for me is like, it's super short, but it's the eye opener on how you need to deal with your client and how you, yeah, what you need to focus on, how you need to talk with your client and things like that. But the thing is, it's very odd because. In the master class that I do, I do spend, as I said, like the time of like explaining how to deal with clients and what type of mindset you should have and how to address like typical objections that they have, etc. But even though I can sort of like come up with like many anecdotes, yeah, or histories, et cetera, of how I dealt with something and how it went well or how it went wrong, etc., and how you can learn from that, you still need to sort of experience it at some point in order to be able to address it. One thing though, that is very important for me, as I was saying is like this conversation aspect. And it's also this sort of like being very aware of what you're doing. Uh, this is how I based basically the composition course that I did is like asking why all the time, why am I doing this? And not just how can I do this effect? It's like, why should I do that effect in the first place? And the same with the client is like, why, why should I convince him or her to go that way? And how can I convince him or her? And it's all this sort of like being aware of how you're talking with clients, how you think you're coming across to them and how they actually perceive you and being very upfront actually. You can do it by email, but it's always better if you can meet the person or at least be on the phone because there's a sort of like better level of awareness of understanding of how people are actually talking because by email, everything seems a bit cold sometimes. So it's not really good. But it's really important to like listen all the time to what people are saying and to really try to understand before filtering it and adding your own interpretation on it. Because otherwise, you're always going to misunderstand what the client is telling you. And it's like the, the worst thing that can happen because then it means that you're going to set up a goal
0: that is actually not your client's goal. And this is not what you're getting paid for. Goal alignment, I think, is the first thing in the process. And this can be done only by speaking, by communicating face-to-face with a client. I hope to do it better and better. It's not easy as well, Uh, especially for introverted people. It's really difficult to get on the phone or get on Skype or Zoom and talk to a client. Honestly, I... I freak out a bit when I know that I have to have a call with a client, but I I'm, I'm forcing myself to do it.
1: Yeah, I think you get more and more comfortable talking with clients the more you get comfortable with the knowledge you have. If you know why and how to explain your point of view properly with like words that seem unbiased and that sort of like can really make a convincing case, then it's easier to call someone and like ask them what they think and how we can go forward, etc. And But if you, if you really like have a very flimsy knowledge of how you're doing things and why you're doing them that way, then of course it becomes very daunting to call a client and then expect them to have like a complete different opinion on what you just submitted and not being able to reply because you actually don't even understand the, the core of the reasons that led you to do that images that way. And it's, it's true also that we like, since it's a kind of tech Party industry, some people, I guess, maybe majority are like a little bit introvert and really are not necessarily introvert, but at least very used to being mostly alone in front of their computer or like in small teams and having like a very specific uh, way of um, like communicating. Uh, and it can be very indeed uh, complicated to just get this habit of calling your client all the time. I know that I, I'm still working on it as well, of course, but what, what I do now is that I, d- I do write like very long emails as well all the time, which is not a very good thing to do, but it helps in keeping track of how things are going, which is good on that aspect. That way we can I can tell them like we sort of like had this idea at that moment and it seemed like it was working okay and I explained to you like other things that didn't work. And we can sort of like go forward from there and avoid going back too much.
0: It's going to be very useful to people what we say today. And I'm really thankful to have had this conversation with you.
1: I'm very happy we had it. I was very looking forward to it.
0: (laughs) Honestly, I I think we need more people like you talking about these kind of things in the industry, Mm -hmm. especially in this agent era, which we want everything so fast and done quickly. But there's something behind and that we have to learn what's behind doing an images and our process. So thank you very much for today's talk. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new episode every second week. If you like this episode, help us growing and improving the show by rating and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Got a question or is there something you'd like me to cover in a future episode? Write me an email at podcast at bigpicturevisual.com. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.